Italiano, a friend from Sicily, came to visit Peter one day and said, I have a great request to ask of you, and I think that it may help in your obtaining a job since I've heard that you are unemployed. And Peter told him, Tom, it shames me to think that you would even talk about repaying a favor before asking for one. All you have to do is ask, and if I can do it, it is done. Tom said, it is something I've been thinking about for a long time. I have been working as a truck driver for many years with the Philadelphia Sugar Company. It has been hard, but now I have a dream. I want to go into the trucking business, and the only way that I know to get that truck is through the Philadelphia Sugar Company. As you have probably heard, sugar trucks have been getting hijacked because sugar is necessary to make alcohol. The bootleggers can't buy it from the sugar companies because the ABC, or Alcoholic Beverage Commission, has been checking the sugar company records to see who buys in quantity. And since they cannot buy it from us, they hijack the trucks and steal it. Sometimes the driver is hurt or even killed in the process. Well, I have decided to use this problem to my own advantage. I plan on hijacking or actually taking the load of sugar, selling it, and selling the truck. And with the money, I will have enough to go into the trucking business. And what I need Peter to do after I've sold this load of sugar and truck is to take me out on the highway and hit me over the head with a club hard enough so that there could be no question of the fact that I was hijacked. Peter was aghast, and he said, I could kill you, I could injure you for the rest of your life, and it was something that would be on my conscience forever. I would do anything for you, but don't ask me to hurt you. You're asking too much. Tom replied, I've thought about it. I understand the risks, but I trust no one else more than Peter Donatelli. Welcome back to Legacy. I'm Helena Drago. Over the past couple of months, my husband Ty Drago, who is a published author, has been taking you on a book writing journey. And over the course of the next several podcasts, he will continue on that journey, providing tips and advice on how to write a novel and how to get it published. He's demonstrating his craft with the novel he is currently writing. Well, really co-writing with his father, Tony Drago who drafted a novel 25 years ago on a tape recorder as he lay in bed, dying of cancer. Today, we will be talking about characterization, providing some thoughts on how to create and build your characters in a novel. At the beginning of the podcast, I played a clip from Tony's Tapes, which outlines the story of Peter, the main character of this novel. Next up, you will hear Tony's character description of Peter, So as you listen to Tony, consider whether you think that Peter's character description fits the story you heard in the beginning. Here's Tony. In the book, Peter tried to be friendly with everyone. He believed in being kind, considerate, and gentlemanly with everyone he came in contact with 
and was very quick to be helpful and considerate. And although he could be violent when pushed extremely hard or felt he was cornered and that his self, his family, or his property was being abused, he could react very dangerously. But he rarely did this without careful consideration. Ty and I had a conversation about the characters in a novel and how you might want to build that character to make them genuine and authentic. Take a listen. Characterization is a big word. And what it generally means is manufacturing people. Characterization is manufacturing people and making them as real and as whole and as human as you possibly can. When you're writing a novel, you're approaching it in a series of tiers. You look at your main characters. And by main characters, I mean your protagonists, multiple. Your antagonists, multiple. They don't literally translate necessarily to good guy and bad guy. Your protagonist is the person who has a goal that they are trying to meet, and your antagonist is the person who gets in the way of that goal. Not necessarily a villain. Your protagonist, for example, could be a master thief, and your antagonist is the cop who's trying to catch him. So who's the protagonist and the antagonist in this book? The protagonist in this book is Peter, who is the eldest of the three Sicilian brothers. The antagonist is John, who is the middle of the three brothers, middle-aged of the three brothers. Oh, that middle child. That middle child is, oh man, they're nothing but trouble. For those of you who don't know, Helene is a middle child, and I'm an oldest child. <laughs> anyway, Peter's a lot of fun to write, but as is often the case, he's not as fun as John's turning out to be. Everybody likes the bad boy. John's the bad boy. Peter is 18 years old. He has a strong work ethic. He goes goes to work in the in the local Don's orchard, collecting the olives in the fall. Gains a reputation for being honorable and a hard worker, which ends up turning into a problem because he draws the wrong kind of attention. John skips school, doesn't have a job. He's cultivating friends amongst the shopkeeper's sons and even the mayor's nephew because he thinks when the time comes when he will be required to start making money, he might be able to land himself something cushier than an orchard. He's hoping to make contacts. He's networking. Just a quick sidebar. I thought you might be interested in hearing Tony's take on John. Here's Tony. John, he was a loner, and he was not interested in friends and did not go out of his way to make friends, but he did everything possible to avoid enemies because they could be a problem and dangerous. He was not a man that did favors except for family and a very few paisans or close friends. He did return favors, but he avoided as much as possible ever asking for them. Okay, back to Ty and our conversation on characterization. But those main characters, whether they're protagonist or antagonist, good guy or bad guy, hero or villain, these are the ones that you want to flesh out as much as you possibly can because these are the ones that your readers are relating to. So you need to make them as human as you can. One of the mistakes people make sometimes in their writing is they'll take a, a protagonist and they'll make them human, but they'll bury them in so many faults that they cease to be likable. And it is so important that your character be likable. Your protagonist 
has to be relatable. Otherwise, your reader's not going to care what happens to them. Peter, for example, the way my father has him is a honorable, intelligent, respectful man who lives by a strict code of honor. The only time he behaves immorally is when he is pushed into a corner that he has to protect his family, he has to protect somebody he cares about. In those instances, he will do something that his conscience tells him is wrong. You're looking at me funny. Well, I'm looking at you because I'm recalling a conversation we had a little earlier that you said you thought Peter was him or your grandfather? I think Peter started out being my grandfather. And I think as the story progresses, he turns into what my father subconsciously, I don't think he did this on purpose, subconsciously identifies as the best version of himself. A lot of writers, the heroes that we write are the best versions of ourselves. It is what we wish we could be. I like that. I like that an author is thinking about the best version of who he could be and he makes that the hero of the book. Or or the protagonist. There are two primary styles of writing. They're called plotters and pantsers. Are you saying plotters? Plotter, plotter. With a T, With not, a T. not D. Not D, not plotting, plotters. There are two main styles of writing. Plotters, P-L-O-T-T-E-R-S, plotters. And pantsers, P-A-N-T-S-E-R-S. So what are you calling it? It's pantsers. People who take down your pants. That's what a pantser is. All right. Somebody who pantses you. In the context of writing, a plotter is someone who makes a detailed outline, sometimes an extremely detailed outline. They will do do serious character studies, and they will go down and say, in Chapter 7, Character A talks to Character B, and these goals will be accomplished. And then when they're finished all that, they go back and they actually write the book based on that outline. That's a plotter. Pantser writes by the seat of their pants. That's where that word comes from. And it means they start on page one and they start writing and they go where the story takes them. It's not somebody who pulls your drawers down. I, and I'm afraid to say this now, am a pantser. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're funny. I don't make outlines. I don't do character studies. I start writing. I have in my head what I think this character should be. And very often the character will evolve or change or present themselves as someone else to me. My dad, however, clearly, based upon what he was doing, was a bit more of a plotter than a pantser. You know, I don't think you're right, because I, I listened to some of his tapes, particularly the intro, and he says that when you do this novel, I'm going to have to rewrite everything, because I didn't give this enough thought. In fact, he said, I shot from the hip. How often in life do you get to rewind the tape to prove a point? So here's Tony, proving he's a pantser. Ty, the more I listen to these tapes, the less happy I am with it. If you decide to do anything with these, I will have to completely edit all of them so that they're more plausible and fit the characters and the times much better 
than they do now. Please try to remember that I was pretty much shooting from the hip and making stories up as I went along. You're right, he does say that. Don't call him a plotter. And you gotta bear in mind, this was something. This was a man who wasn't planning on writing the novel. This was a man who was planning for someone else to write the novel. Right. So he was laying it out with an eye, with that, with that intention This in was a man who thought he had time because he says yeah, I know. in his tapes, I'm going to edit these tapes heavily before you write. Yes, he does say that. One of the, the great ironies of the whole thing. That brings us back to characterization. There are tears to it. You have your primary characters, your protagonists, your antagonists, and they're plural. Then you have your secondary characters, your supporting characters, if you will. Then below that, you have tertiary characters. These are characters that play important roles in, in short portions of the book, but are not key elements to the overall story. And then you have the walk-ons, characters they run into over the course of things that, that lend color and, and, and texture to the story. They have to be people. You have to give them a certain shading. There's a character my father created called Jack Carney, who's a, a local gangster, a local bootlegger. He's an interesting character. He's a tertiary character. But he's important because he introduces Peter to a world that he's going to be forced by circumstances to take part in to a certain degree. He's going to be driving a beer truck, going prohibition, which is, of course, criminal and dangerous. Here's a little trick I use for what I think of as fattening up tertiary characters and even walk-ons, characters that are coming in and out of the plot, you know, that serve some purpose but aren't particularly important and may not even have lines. Here's the trick. I find one thing about the characters that I can focus on that makes them in some way memorable. Maybe Jack Carney will have a good sense of humor. Maybe a shopkeeper will have a lazy eye. Just something to give them some depth something to make the neighborhood that they're going to be living in more alive. We heard your father's characterization of Peter, and we heard a little story about Peter interacting with a friend. How well do you think that interaction matches your dad's characterization of Peter? of who he is. I think they jive pretty closely. My father presented a character study of an honorable man who would do anything for a friend, for a family member, for a paisan. And I think that the story we heard at the beginning of the episode absolutely illustrates that. What I find interesting about that story and about Peter's character that my father does not specifically describe in the character study is the fact that when Peter expresses shock and horror at his friend Tom Italiano's suggestion, it's not because of the illegality of that suggestion. Peter has no particular problem breaking the law. He's concerned about injuring his friend inadvertently in the process. His sense of honor does not extend to the American police or their courts. When he grew up in Sicily, the police in Sicily were at best ineffectual and at worst, completely corrupt. His neighbors and his family in rural areas of Sicily learned when you had a problem, you didn't go to the police. If someone robbed your house, you didn't go to the police, you took care of it yourself or you lived with it. And that's a, a way of thinking that Peter has brought to the Italian neighborhood he's living in, in South Philly. 
so let's talk a little bit about Tom Italiano. I mean, the, I find the name a bit on the nose. <laughs> a bit on the nose. The, the reason my father did it was because there were people back then who took the name Italiano because they came across on the boat from Italy very young and didn't have a last name or didn't know their last name. So the people bringing them in would slap the name Italiano on them. I don't think it works with Tom, and I don't think it's a very good character name, so Tom's going to get a new last name. But it does bring us up to a wider issue, naming characters. Naming characters is extremely important. When you heard the story at the beginning of the episode, you will have noticed that my father identifies the main character as Peter Donatelli. Donatelli's a fine Italian name, but it's more of a northern Italian name. The Italian names that ended with I tend to be more northern, Milan and points north. When you go further south into Naples and Rome and Sicily, you, you, you come across last names that end with an O or an A. So in the book that I'm writing, I've made a decision that Peter Donatelli is going to become Peter Donatello. And did you learn that through your research? Yes. Naming your characters, are you recommending that they should be doing research on what would be a, a fitting name? I mean, there's a skill to naming characters. Well, there are a number of different techniques. I'm writing a historical novel, so I'm picking names that are appropriate for the locale in which these people live. That's not hard to do. I mean, you can go into Google and say, show me a list of common Sicilian surnames, and a whole slew comes up. And the other characters in Sicily that Peter interacts with are getting their names from that Google search. If you're writing another kind of story, you want to come up with names that may have some other meaning to them. In the Undertaker series, for example, the lead character's name is Will Ritter. He's heroic. He's adventurous. Ritter is German for knight. Sometimes you want to, you want to pick a character name that resonates with you. I have a number of characters in the Undertaker series that are named after people I grew up with. I twisted the names a little bit so as, you know, to protect the innocent but the correlations are there and of course the main female character is named after you now in the my dad's book i don't have that much flexibility when i'm naming the names although peter john and angelo's mother is named carmella who's named after your mother which is a good sicilian name my mother's a good sicilian sicilian american <laughs> so naming is important my father pulled tom italiano out of thin air which is fine when you're doing an outline or drafting. But now that I'm writing a book, Tom's going to get a new name. And that wraps up this week's episode on characterization. Join us next week when we will be talking about story arcs in a novel and how to pace your story using conflict. We will also be introducing the romance in Tony's book, so we will be offering some tips for creating romance in your novel. I hope you'll join us, and as always, thanks for listening. Legacy was written and produced by Helena and Ty Drago. If you have enjoyed listening to Legacy, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating. The music you are listening to is Philly Crew, played by Danny Keene and Doug Maxwell, found at the YouTube library.